I recently discovered a television series that ran for six seasons. It ended its broadcast life last year. I never watched it in real time, but I had friends who watched it and lauded its many merits. I discovered it on Netflix recently and began watching it from the beginning. The show is called Parenthood, and it is indeed a wonderful show filled with beautiful writing, skillful direction, great acting by a really fine cast. It is funny and heartbreaking and challenging and comforting, just like life. It is a show about the extended Braverman family in all its beautiful, loving, fighting dysfunction that is familiar to many of us who live in beautiful, loving, fighting, dysfunctional families of our own. One of the adult Braverman children, Adam, and his wife, Christina, have two children, a son and a daughter. The younger child, son Max, is in his early elementary school years when the series begins, and he is diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, which is on the autism spectrum. Adam and Christina are receiving the news of their son's diagnosis in the office of the doctor, who is the expert on Asperger's and autism, and Adam immediately begins asking how long it is going to take to, quote, fix their son. He wants to know exactly what he needs to do to make it easier for their son to live in the world. The doctor gently explains to them that there is no cure for Asperger's, that Max will always approach the world differently from the quote-unquote normal children. Adam says, but he has to learn to live in the world like the rest of us. He has to learn that it is not okay to wear his pirate costume to school every single day and to live in some fantasy world in which he is a pirate doing battle with the rest of the world. What are we supposed to do? The doctor says, first... You have to join Max in his world and get to know him there. That is what he needs most. That is how you can love him best right now. Jesus told a parable one day to a lawyer who stood up to test him. The lawyer asked him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him what he read in the law. The lawyer, proud of knowing the correct answer, I'm sure, said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer was not quite through testing Jesus. Right, but wait. Who is my neighbor? The scripture tells us that he asked this question desiring to justify himself. He wanted to know the allowable limits to his love. He wanted to know who was inside the circle of obligation and who was outside the circle. In response, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. This parable, like all good parables, has many layers. It has much depth. We can never fully comprehend all the lessons the parable teaches us. The audience for the parable was Jewish, and so were most of the cast of characters. Presumably, the man making his way from Jerusalem to Jericho along a well-known, dangerous route, a road commonly known in the day as the Bloody Highway, 
because of the frequency with which people fell victim to violent crime as they traveled the road, presumably that man was Jewish. He fell victim to robbers who beat him and stripped him and stole all of his belongings, leaving him for dead in the ditch by the side of the road. The next two characters are Jewish as well, good religious Jews, a priest and a Levite, who saw the man and passed by on the other side of the road without helping him. Then along comes a Samaritan. Now Jews and Samaritans were enemies. It was an ancient ethnic and religious hatred. The Jew would have hated the Samaritan in the normal course of events, and the Samaritan would have hated the Jew. But this Samaritan, we are told, drew near to the injured man and did all that he could to bind up his wounds and carry him to safety and provide for his healing. What struck me as I read the story this week is that the difference between the Samaritan and the priest and the Levite in the story is that the Samaritan drew near to the injured man, while the priest and the Levite crossed to the other side of the road to put more distance between themselves and the man in the ditch. First of all, let me say that there were many good and perhaps even faithful reasons to avoid contact with the injured man. These two Jewish men were both professional religious people with duties to perform in the temple. Touching the blood of another, and even worse, the potential for touching this man to discover that he was dead, would have led to ritual defilement. It would have meant that they could not perform their service in the temple until they had gone through the long and expensive process of restoring their ritual purity. So ritual purity is a good and in some ways even a faithful reason for avoiding contact with the injured man. And what if his lying in the ditch was just a ruse to draw someone closer to him so that they could be ambushed and robbed themselves? And even if it was not a ruse, taking the time to stop and tend him would put anyone in a vulnerable position for other robbers to come along that dangerous road and do the same to them. There are many other legitimate, even seemingly faithful reasons to cross to the other side of the road, ignore the injured man, and carry on with work and life. But for some reason, the Samaritan made a different choice. A harder choice. He chose to draw near to the injured man and to get down into the ditch with him and do what he could to help, to bind up, to heal, to lift up, to bear his burden, and to pay for his full healing. The Samaritan chose to show his love by joining the injured man in his world, which at that moment was that ditch on the side of a dangerous road and loving him there at great cost to himself. It was not an easy choice. It was hard to be the injured man in the ditch, wholly dependent on the mercy of another to save him. But it was also hard to be the Samaritan, to extend mercy to an enemy at great cost and potential danger. My friends, our world is a place that is full of danger these days, it seems. 
It is full of bigotry and hatred and anger and judgment and violence and grief. We have watched all of those things explode across our television screens in recent days and in recent weeks. From a nightclub in Orlando to the streets of Louisiana to a car pulled over in Minnesota to the streets of Dallas to streets all across our nation boiling over with protest and lamentation and anger to a more divisive, hate-filled, and angry political campaign on all sides that I can ever remember experiencing, to wrangling in our city and state governments, to divisions even in our churches, to the violence all around us. It seems that we are more divided than ever. It feels as if we seek more and more distance from one another out of fear or anger or bigotry or a million other reasons we can name. There are overwhelming moments when I feel the soul of our nation is damaged beyond repair. But I know in my better moments that it is not, that there is still more good than evil, more love than hate, more reasons to hope than to despair. I read a story yesterday written by a young African-American woman named Natasha Howell. It was shared many times on Facebook, so you may have seen it as well. She told about going into a convenience store just yesterday after pumping gas to pick up a snack. And as she walked in the door, two white police officers and the white cashier were talking about the shootings of black men by police in recent days, and the shooting of police officers in Dallas who were doing their jobs. As they saw her enter, they fell silent. As she made her way up the aisle with her snacks, one of the police officers was standing at the head of the aisle, and he asked her, How are you today? She replied, I'm fine, thanks, like we all do when we are asked that question. But his eyes locked with hers, and he said, How are you, really? And her eyes locked with his, and she said, I'm tired. And he said, so am I. Then he said, I guess it is not easy to be either one of us these days, is it? She said, no, it's not. And they embraced and cried together. In that holy moment, They joined each other in the world that each one of them inhabits every day. They got into each other's ditch and saw the view from there. And it was a transformative moment for each one of them. I guess it is not easy to be either one of us these days, is it? Beloved ones in Christ, it is not easy being black in America these days, and it never has been. It is not easy being a police officer in America these days, and it never has been. It is not easy living in poverty in America or anywhere around the world these days, and it never has been. It is not easy being a Muslim or a Jew or a Christian in America these days, and it never has been. It is not easy being an immigrant in America these days, and it never has been. 
It is not easy being a Republican or a Democrat in America these days, and maybe it never has been. It is not easy being gay or lesbian or transgender in America these days, and it never has been. It is not easy to be a parent trying to raise children with grace and love and joy and hope in America these days, and it probably never has been. All of us, every single one of us, know what it is like to be in a ditch in one way or another. Maybe for some of us it has been the ditch of grief or of loneliness or of fear. Maybe it has been the ditch, the ditch of illness or job loss or parenting a troubled child. Maybe it has been the ditch of helping an older parent as they age and approach death. Maybe it has been the ditch of loving someone with dementia. Maybe it has been the ditch of experiencing racism or poverty or prejudice in another of its myriad forms or a million other things that might characterize the struggles each one of us has known and will know in this broken world of ours. And it is so easy to see someone in the ditch and to cross to the other side of the road to avoid having to touch their pain, the pain in them and the pain in ourselves. It is so easy to see someone and to label them as other and to walk away and to harden our hearts and our prejudices against them. But Jesus calls us to be better than that, to make a different choice, a better choice, a harder but more loving and merciful choice. Jesus calls us to see that for us Christian people, there is no us versus them. There is only we, all of us, standing in the same need of grace, all of us sinful and broken, all of us in equal need of a Savior, all of us equally beloved as children of God. Jesus calls us to get in the ditch with each other, to try to see the view from there, not as a superior looking down on an inferior, but as equals as simply another human being who knows what it is like to be in a ditch of our own and to be in need of help. So Jesus calls us to get into the ditch with each other, to try to see the view from there, and then to do all that we can to bind up each other's wounds, to lift each other up, to bear one another's burdens, and to carry each other to safety. This week, if you feel overwhelmed as I have felt, maybe it will help to find some simple, concrete ways that we can show mercy. Maybe we could all buy that cliched box of donuts and take it to our local police station and thank them for their service and perhaps gain some insight into the view from their ditch of danger as they seek to protect us and our city from violence. Maybe we could decide that it is time to do what we have always thought about doing and sign up to tutor in our STAIR program, where you will have the opportunity to help a child of color, a child of poverty in our city, improve their reading skills so they have a better chance to succeed in school. But at the same time you are helping with their reading, you can also pour every good word of encouragement you can into that precious child 
You can speak words of hope and love and affirmation into their lives. You can help them know their incalculable worth to God, to you, to the world. And in the process, you just may gain some insight into the view they see from their ditch of poverty, violent streets, and failing schools. Maybe we could take the time to listen to someone whose experience of the world is vastly different from our own, politically, economically, ethnically, racially, religiously, or in terms of sexual orientation. And I mean really listen without judgment, without fear, and engage in respectful dialogue. And through that dialogue, maybe each of us can get a view of the struggles we each face from our own particular ditch. Maybe we could go to someone we know who is grieving and simply sit with them in their pain, as some of us tried to do with Catherine Goudreau and her family this week as they buried her young brother. Simply sit with them in their pain, because we all know the view from the ditch of grief quite well. Maybe those of you with children can spend a few extra minutes helping them find ways to act out their Christian love in concrete ways. Take them to the grocery store and help them buy food for the food pantry or bottled water for one of our homeless shelters. Help them write a note or draw a picture for a first responder. Or reach out to a child that feels left out. Or if they are the right age, take them to the Civil Rights Institute so they can step into someone else's shoes for a little while and try to understand that historical but still present pain. This week, maybe the best we can do to push back the darkness is to shed a bit of light in our own little corner of the world, to share concrete acts and words of love and kindness, to draw near to each other, and not to pass by on the other side of the street. Maybe we, like the Samaritan, can reach through all of the barriers that seek to divide us, all of the fears we feel about the other, all of the judgments we make against one another without having walked in each other's shoes, and we can seek to make a different choice, to love better, to do better, to be better, to be the body of Christ in a world desperately in need of the love of Christ. Frederick Buechner, in his novel Brendan about an ancient Irish monk, writes this passage as Brendan is talking to a scribe named Gildas. I'm as crippled as the dark world, Gildas said. Well, if it comes to that, which one of us isn't, my dear, Brendan said. Gildas with but one leg, Brendan sure he'd misspent his whole life entirely, me that had left my wife to follow him and buried our only boy. The truth of what Brendan said stopped all our mouths. We was cripples, all of us. For a moment or two there was no sound but the bees. To lend each other a hand when we are falling, Brendan said. Perhaps that's the only work that matters in the end. And here is the best good news of this parable for today, friends. We may ask why we should extend ourselves to and for others, 
why we should make the hard choice to draw near and to join others in the ditch and to do all in our power to heal and lift up and bear one another's burdens and do the hard work of loving across our divisions. Why? Because that is what Jesus did for us. Jesus gave us a hand when we were falling. Jesus came to us when we were in our collective ditch of sin and brokenness. And instead of crossing to the other side, he joined us there. He drew near to us. He was moved with pity toward us who might have been considered his enemies. He bent down to us and bandaged our wounds, pouring the oil and wine of his body and blood on them. He lifted us up and bore us, bore our brokenness on the cross taking us to safety, providing for our full healing. And because of his love and his sacrifice, the best news of all is that all evidence to the contrary, we are not lost. Our world is not lost. We have been redeemed. We have been saved. We have been healed. And we live with hope because of that redemption. Because our God has shown us in Jesus Christ that in the end, no matter the struggles and heartaches and broken places of now, in the end, love will win, grace will triumph, because Jesus does and will rule over all. But in the meantime, in the midst of the broken places inside of us and out there in the world, Jesus calls us to love, to choose love. Why? Because Jesus chose love for us, even though it was the hardest choice he could make, even though it cost him his life. My friends, these hard days tell us that we have got to do better. We have got to be better. Jesus calls us to choose the harder, better, more loving way, and he promises that he will be with us no matter where that way leads us. We have got to start loving each other better. Jesus has shown us the way. All we have to do is follow. We just have to go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.